Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor. With mixed market bet builders, in-play betting and a selection of welcome offers, make sure your Premier League is spent with BetVictor's premier betting app. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hi, guys. It's Trevor Tulliver here, and you're listening to the Blue Day Podcast. Fellow Chelsea supporters, welcome to the Blue Day podcast. And on today's show, if you are a fan of 90s Chelsea, this one is truly for you. On BT Sport, coming up on Tuesday night after Chelsea's Champions League game against Dortmund, there will be a documentary which centres around Ken Bates and Matthew Harding. Joining me to discuss this and more is two men behind the documentary. Let me introduce first Kaz, who is one of the filmmakers, and an old friend of the show, Mr. Harry Harris, who knew Mr. Bates very well and has an actual book out called The Battle for Stamford Bridge. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. How are you both? I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I was uh, watching Nottingham Forest. I'm a Forest fan, so I watched it up at the city grounds yesterday. So um, I don't know how I feel about that, but I, oh, a point's better than nothing, I guess. Yeah, that was quite a result, wasn't it? 7-0. Remind me. Well, gentlemen, as I've got you on the show, we'll sort of talk about this upcoming documentary, which I'm hoping Chelsea fans are going to watch and enjoy. It's about Ken Bates and Matthew Harding, two two individuals who, you know, if Chelsea fans know their history, will know quite a lot about them. Harry, you've done books about both of them, and in fact, about Chelsea's history in the past. So I'll start with you sort of first, if I can. Why is this story so fascinating and to the extent that this documentary was made? Well, I, I blame Cash for all of this. You know, uh, he's, he's uh, brought this out of, of the blue, hence the blue day, I suppose. <clears throat> um, it clearly is a, a fascinating story. Uh, why now? You'll have to ask him. But um, he approached me to do an interview for him and I was more than happy to do that. Um, and I can't wait to see the, the, the film on Tuesday evening. I think it's going to be a cracking story. Um, I think it's an hour and 15 minutes, but then it kind of like inspired me to uh, write the story as well. Um, and Cash uh, has uh, very kindly provided me with some transcripts from his film. Um, Ken Bates declined to appear on, on, on the film, um, but he gave me an interview, and I'll tell you a story about that, and I'm sure... Um, Kaz will tell you why he declined. I think that's a very interesting story in its own. Well, I can tell you, I mean, we're always looking... So so we've made films in the past. We, we make documentary sport films. <laughs> and they're never really about who scored the most goals or who jumped the highest or won the most games or whatever. They're usually about something beyond the sport. So we've done one in the past about Liverpool, the city of Liverpool uh, in the 80s. 
and that was you know Liverpool and Everton, but it was really about the politics and the music and the culture that was happening in a city that was was pretty much on its knees at the time. Um, and when we were looking at Chelsea, I, mean, I guess the obvious story is to do the sort of the Abramovich takeover to a certain extent. And then I think when we were looking at it as well, you know, going through that process where Chelsea were about to be sold and become the most expensive sports franchise in the world. And we were thinking, God, do you remember when you could buy Chelsea for a quid? <laughs> and that basically got us thinking, yeah, you know, you could buy Chelsea for a quid, which is why the film's called Poundland, uh, the battle for Stamford Bridge. Um and, and, and that's really where it started. The idea of the, it started from from that from that sort of uh, viewpoint of how do you get from from a club that's worth a pound to being the most expensive sports entity in the entire world? And then the corner of all that was was really this relationship between uh, Matthew Harding and Ken Bates. And you know we went through sort of the research and everything else and started looking at stuff. And I was a really young uh, reporter, producer at Radio 5 at the time, so I'd spend some time down at Chelsea to see Harriet Games. And, and you know, we started thinking, I thought, well, actually, you know, we really need to get Harry involved in this because every time we make these films, we want people who were actually, you know, on talking heads just for the sake of it, who look back at it and you show them clips and they tell you what they think. We wanted people who were in the story. And, and Harry is being very modest because he was very much in the story. So that that's really where, where it all came from. Well, catch, that's very interesting. Some people blame me for the story, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I bet Ken does. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fascinating that, um, you know, that uh, Ken didn't give you an interview, but I, I actually know the reason why. It's because, and, and he explained this to me 25 years ago, 30 years ago, he, he did a recorded interview and it was chopped and um, intersected by other people passing comments about what he was saying. And he came out of it very badly. And his decision at that time was he would he would do any live interview he was asked to do, but never do a recorded. So nothing to do with the UK. That was his reason behind it. And 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 of course that's the kind of thing that um, you know being in the, in in the story when you say Chelsea was bought for a pound. But Ken Bates tells this great story about um, he was negotiating that deal with the Mears family. Um, and Lord Cadogan was there. And um, <clears throat> they said to him, look, we've got um, two cheques here, uh, £300,000 to pay the players. Not very modest in those days. £300,000 to pay the players' monthly wage bill. And £300,000 we have to pay to the FA. And he said, in those days, when, when you had um, cup ties, you uh, had to split the money three ways a third went to the FA, a third you kept, and a third went to the visiting team. So he said, I've got I've, <clears throat> I've got two checks here. Um, he said, but you can't pay either of them because you've got no money in the bank. So which check are you going to pay? And they said, we'll pay the FA one. Because, you know, Mears was on the FA Council, Lord Cadogan with his reputation. They didn't want to bounce a check with the FA. He said, OK, we'll we personally cover that check for the FA. But who's going to cover... 300,000 for the players. He said, I'll cover that check, but I'm paying you only a pound for the club. Wow. And he said, and he says, Lord Cadogan said to him, okay, look, we've done a deal. Thank you very much. Ken, he said, I'd like to invite you as my guest to the next home game. 
And Ken says, well, actually, I, I, I doffed my cap and said, OK, Lord, uh, yes, I'll be your guest. He said, but privately, I was thinking, it's my bloody club. I can invite you if I want mm-hmm. to. <laughs> <laughs> Harry, just a sort of a quick mention about Ken, and then we'll sort of talk about more about the actual show. He was quite a controversial figure at Chelsea. I've you know spoken to a number of ex-Chelsea players about him. Some were a fan of his, others not so much. But he certainly had Chelsea's interest at heart when it came to the business side and in terms of trying to make Chelsea competitive with the big teams mm-hmm. still in the Premier League, didn't he? Well, I think I think these owners like Ken Bates, they they, they eventually fall in love with the, with the club. He, he was in love with football. There's no question about it. He wanted to be a professional footballer with Arsenal, uh, and and he actually played for their the junior teams. But he had a bit of a gammy leg, and he had to teach himself to kick with his other foot because one of his feet were actually turned inside out. But um, he was never a Chelsea fan, obviously, because. Um, uh, he was an Arsenal supporter. Um, uh, he, he had bought uh, Wigan uh, and was persuaded by um, uh, Freddie Pye, who was with him at Wigan, that he should go and try and invest in Chelsea. Um, so it was um, uh, a lucky break for him because it, it really snowballed from there as far as Chelsea are concerned. And Kaz, when you decided to make the film as well, when you was looking at the story, what were the stumbling blocks, if you had any, in terms of what information you was trying to get, if there was mm. any particular people that you wanted to get on the, on the documentary but couldn't? Were there any issues that you had to come across? And Yeah, I, I guess the, the most obvious one that Andy and I, the director, looked at was saying, well, look, we spoke to Ken. It was clear that you know, for his for his reasons, he wasn't going to be in it. And obviously, with Matthew Harding having passed away, he wasn't going to be in it. So potentially, you were making a film where the two main characters were not going to going to feature in terms of an interview. Um, but I think, luckily, there was an awful lot of archive of the two guys. Um, this feud that they had over controlling of the club was pretty much carried out in the in public. And it was carried out in the newspapers. Uh, this is again where Harry is quite crucial to this story. You know, Harry, <laughs> Harry on one side and Rob Beasley on the other side. And and I think, you know, uh, people of, of, of a younger generation probably don't realise just how powerful the newspapers were. You know, the days before the internet, these stories were, were soap operas that were played out day by day in the national press that millions of people bought and read. And that's where that conversation was driven. So luckily we had that resource as well. So we were able to tell that story a lot through the newspapers and the stories that Rob was making, putting out there from, say, the Harding side and the relationship that Harry had with Ken. So those two things really, really helped. But, yeah, I, mean, I suppose that was the biggest challenge. And it's quite fascinating as well when you talk about newspapers being the main ones in certain in regards to sourcing of news, you look at it from the society of from the 90s, and we sort of touched on it before we started recording. It wasn't just Chelsea that was evolving from, you know, Ken Bates and then with Matthew Harding being part of the 
the furniture. You also had English football that was evolving with the introduction of the Premier League. You had the Bosman ruling that completely changed football transfers. And it was also British society when you was either an Oasis fan or a Blur fan. You had the introduction of the Spice Girls and shows like Noel Edmonds House Party during millions every Saturday night on television. So it was completely, wasn't just sort of Chelsea as, as such that was evolving. It was the whole structure of England that was sort of evolving. It's, it's funny you should say that, kids, because you could probably have made this film because it's, <laughs> you just said a lot of things that are in the film. Um, you know, it's that, it's that thing, is that it's the story of Chelsea changing is the story of Britain changing. You know, you, you go from football teams where, where, where a foreign player was probably Scottish or from Northern Ireland to what you had by the end of the decade. Um, you had the money that was coming into football, in a way you could say like, you know, Ken Bates was sort of old money and suddenly you had money from the city, Matthew Harding, you know, the city never saw football as a, an opportunity at that point. And if you look at the way people invest in football now, you know, all those little things were starting at that point. Like you rightly say Bosman as well, which I think Chelsea sort of exploited really well. Again, Colin Hutchinson, who's in the film talks a little bit about that. And that was a, you know, concerted, strategy thought out strategy to make the most of bossman and to get the players over that they they probably couldn't have afforded before and even down to politics and you know so you could say it's old tory new labor and with harding giving his one million pound donation to labor during that period as well which was the biggest single donation that anyone had ever given so all these things were in the mix and chelsea was like almost like a, a in one club personified all that change that was happening, you know, from, and you say Euro 96, everything else that was going on. Uh, and, you know, we were talking earlier, weren't we? But if you look at the club that Chelsea was at the start of the decade of the 90s and the club it was at the end of the 90s, you wouldn't think it was the same club. Absolutely. You, you know, two different clubs when you've got the likes of the, in the 90s, you're not sure on, you know, the long-term future at Chelsea. They were bringing in players like, Andy Townsend, Dennis Wise, and you know even players like and Andy Dow. You know for those that you know know their Chelsea history. And then at the end of the decade, they would bring in people like Didier Deschamps and Albert Ferrer, and they're playing Milan and Barcelona in the Champions League. And it's only you know, nine years, sort of in separation to that. So as you say, Chelsea completely changed and evolved throughout that period. But one thing that was part of this story, which I would like to find out from you, Kaz. In terms of Ken Bates and Matthew Harding with their with their relationship, when did sort of for those that may not know, when did you sort of start looking at when the wheels started to fall off between them two, and what do you feel was the reasons behind those two having the fallouts, and then subsequently Matthew Harding being banned from the director's box and. I think probably Harry's better place to answer that in many ways because he was part of, of of the information that was coming out at that time. But I mean, what I would say is, is it's one of those stories where you, you know you're tempted to, to to ask people which camp do you fall in? Are you a Harding fan or are you a Bates fan? It's a bit like the blur, <laughs> Oasis thing of the time. You know, which one are you battling? Which one is yours? But the truth is, probably from looking at what we've seen, is without Harding and without Bates there probably wouldn't have been an Abramovich. You know, it sort of, my feeling is Chelsea needed both and they both brought something completely different to the party. 
but they needed both. And if both those guys weren't there at that particular time, I doubt very much that Abramovich would have come in at that time. And I'll, I'll let Harry, Harry explain the detail of what happened or when the wheels came off. <laughs> well, I, he was partly I, responsible. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I helped bring the wheels off. I think I took at least one off. <laughs> Four. Um, but no, I, I don't think the wheels were ever on. That's the thing. I, I don't think these two guys ever really liked each other. In fact, I, I think I'm right in saying that um, Ken Bates actually placed an advert in the Financial Times looking for investors. And that's where uh, Matthew Hardy got, oh, I'm sitting here in the city and I love Chelsea. I, I could be an investor. But where, where the wheels fell off was that Matthew Harding came in um, with a really hard-nosed businessman from the city. But because he was a bit of a, a lad, he liked his Guinness, he liked his, his down the Imperial Arms, he, he talked to the fans, he talked to some journalists, he had a laugh, he, he, he fell about and he wore a Chelsea. You know, he, he, the fans took to him and all this sort of stuff. And Ken Bates, funnily enough, despite what we know about Ken Bates, he still likes, he loves to be loved. And the Chelsea fans loved him. And he, you know, he... Um, progressed into becoming the Chelsea owner that um, perhaps he'd like to have been asked of, but he really loved Chelsea and they loved the Chelsea fans. They loved him. Suddenly, uh, the affections switched to Matthew Hardy. They really loved Matthew Hardy. That's not to say they disliked Ken, but because the love affair with Matthew Hardy was so strong, Bates felt a little bit put out, I think, from a, from a personal point of view more than anything else. Because... What he knew behind the scenes was this bloke wasn't coming in as it was portrayed in, in the section of the media that Matthew Harding associated with. But here's £5 million for the stand. Here's £5 million for the players. You want to buy Matthew Letizia, Glenn? Here's a cheque for £6 million. Here it is. We're going down to Southampton. Say, take it down, give it to them. Let's, let's buy Matthew Letizia. Bates had enough of all of this because he called a board meeting and he wanted Glenn Hoddle there and he got, made sure he was there. And he said to him, Matthew Harding isn't giving Chelsea Football Club a single penny. It's a loan and the interest rates are as high as you get anywhere. It's a loan for the stand. It's a loan for the players. If you want to buy Matthew Letizia, fine, Glenn. But he's going to loan us the money. He's going to charge us the interest. We're then going to get his salary. Then we've got to pay his insurance. Then we've got to pay. He said it's just not attainable. And, and you're getting a wrong impression of this guy. So he wanted to get the right impression out. <laughs> and, you know, what am I going to say? No to, to this wealth of stories, you know, almost as Cash said, day by day. Um, you know, he said this and then he said that. It was, it was not, it was like, it was almost like the internet because it was, it was tit for tat on a daily basis. But you had to wait 24 hours to get the paper. <laughs> it was, it was that kind of um, environment where, you know, Tens of millions of people had to buy the paper, our paper or the sun or news of the world to find out what was going on. There was no Internet. And I would think our sales were at their peak at that particular time. And as how, how many said, copies do you reckon you were selling then, Harry? Well, I think the sun was selling five million. and We were selling three. Yeah. And then, then the, the how many people read each copy is about two or three times more, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So you, you get about 30, 30 million people, sort of. Yeah, the kind of audience you'd get on the internet. Um, and it was no other way of finding it out. You had to go and buy the 
by the paper. Um, so as Kaj said, the, the power of that. So Matthew Hardy could see that. And he was, as far as Ken Bates was concerned, conducting a hostile takeover through the media. Kaz, when it came to filming this documentary, was there anything that you found when doing the research and you was doing, looking at certain situations yeah. that you found quite shocking that you didn't know about the story? Was there anything sort of that came up that you was yeah. more surprised about? I, I think um, it, it's being reminded of certain things uh, and being reminded how 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 rubbish some of the facilities around football were in the, even in the early 90s when I, you know in my mind's eye everything had changed by then in the 80s where, where it was really rubbish and everything was falling apart but actually in the 90s it wasn't you know a lot of places hadn't really changed that much and Chelsea you know as the ground as you know you Chelsea fans will know you know what sort of condition that was in for most of the part and then the training ground at Harlington and you know that was just uh, as Glenn Hoddle tells some stories in there about, you know, just how awful the place was. And the fact that you had to share it with Imperial College, you know. I mean, I remember being down there when we, would, we used to go down and do interviews on, I think, Friday mornings or whatever. And, you know, you'd have to wait for the students to finish, um, to come out before the, before the Chelsea players could come into the canteen to do, to do their media work. You know, it was, hold on, this is, this is like, you know, back then, it was a Premier League club then, by the Premier League had started. So it was, it was that more than anything else. I think that, that that really struck me that you know, wow, this place had has really changed. And and the other thing I think was when when Matthew Harding died, um, that reaction went so far beyond Chelsea fans. Um, and that was the first time I think you know you really thought okay, football means is is now occupying a different place in people's thoughts. You know, it was it was sort of you know it was almost you know, Diana-esque, I suppose, you know, before that happened it, in the, in the reeds and the flowers and everything else was happening. And you had, and it helps you had a, you know, a prime minister who was a Chelsea fan at the time, but you also had the leader of the opposition sort of giving, you know, a, a speech about what, what, what Matthew meant. So you had, you know, Tony Blair and John Major both giving speeches about a guy who owned part of a football club, but that, that, that had never happened before. And Harry, just in terms of the, structure that was in place at Chelsea when there was the issue that um, Matthew Harding wasn't allowed in in the director's box do you believe that this did cause issues with the Chelsea team did this cause issues with the management with you know Glenn Hoddle as well you know he's come in and I think there's going to be excerpts in the documentary where he's mentioned about the training ground and you know there there was hardly any facilities for him to do his training. Did this fracturous relationship, could this have caused long-term issues for Chelsea? Well, personally, I think not, because um, I, I, I think um, you, you see this even in the modern-day game, uh, when owners are changing, they are changing quite frequently these days, when managers are changing all the time. The players, they get on with it. They're only interested in what's going on within their own little area of life. They don't really understand all, all the politics in the boardroom. Um, and, and certainly with Chelsea's politics, it was almost impossible to understand anything. Um, so I think they, they just got on with it. Glenn Hoddle confronted Bates about the uh, facilities. Um, 
and with Matthew Harding, you know, feeding in all those loans, which, which Chelsea could no longer get from the bank, you know, there, there was money to spend on, on upgrading the facilities. So uh, he was happy with that. Um, you know, he tells a great story about the fact that uh, when he was signing Ruth Gunnett, uh, you know, as a, as a top professional, um, playing in Milan with, with, the, with the greatest training facilities imaginable, <clears throat> he, he said to Glenn, oh, I can't wait to see the training facilities. He said, well, there's some work going on there. Let's, let's go. Um, um, and he said, what about the ground? I'd like to see the ground. He said, yeah, we're just repairing one of the stands. Well, that's, I'll tell you what, it's a great Italian restaurant down the road. Let's go for lunch. <laughs> Which he did. Took him to an Italian restaurant, and that, and that was um, uh, his way of showing him the facilities. And I think he loved London, and he loved those re- restaurants, and he loved the the atmosphere. You know, in Milan, um, it was claustrophobic. Uh, he, he couldn't go to an Italian restaurant in Milan, but he could. He could in Chelsea. I mean, Chelsea was just a hub of celebrity and um, big name personalities. And you go in any restaurant, you see people even more famous than Rudd. So he, he just was able to blend in and he loved it. And Kaz, just a quick one on Glenn Holder. What was he like to interview for this documentary? Was <laughs> he quite honest and open in terms of what was happening at Chelsea? Was there anything yeah. that, when, obviously with, with, with your questions, was there anything that you was quite surprised about with his reaction? Uh, Glenn was Glenn was a dream, really, because you know sometimes you do these things and you think, well, you know, does he do they really want to talk about it? Do they re-? It's a long time ago, and you know, and, and you know, as we know, a lot's happened to Glenn between then and uh, yes. and, and now. And uh, but actually, you know, he, he he was wonderful. He was in you know really good form, reflective, funny. I mean, as I said, you know, he, the stories you always will see in the film about Harlington and and the phone that he used that he had to use and the fact he didn't have an office and the showers didn't work. And, you know, I think Dennis Wise used to bring in the biscuits and the fact they had biscuits instead of, instead of something else, a bit more healthy to eat, you know, and, and the fact that the players were all went off to McDonald's after training, you know, and, and that sort of stuff. So he was very candid about, you know, the challenges and the fact that, you know, Chelsea's facilities were worse than Swindon from where he'd come from, which you know surprised him a little bit. And also about, um, he's very candid about how difficult it was and, you know, how he found himself near the bottom of the table uh, of, of that season, of a particular game against Southampton, I think he, he mentioned, you know, when when things were going really badly. And and, and his uh, his conviction, he had to carry on playing. I think he said, I didn't want to play relegation football. I think he said something like that. But I wanted, you know, he said, I got, I got sick of, you know, as a player watching the ball go over my head all the time. So he said, no, we're going to play. We're going to play with the ball. And sticking to those convictions, and obviously, you know, eventually it came right. So, yeah, he, he provides some real nuggets about what it was like, you know, for him as a player. And again, you know, he's quite modest, and you could make a good argument to say that, you know, Glenn, before Arsene Wenger, in many ways, made lots of changes to, to the way that British football was played in terms of nutrition. You know, if he played under Arsene Wenger, didn't he, at Monaco? So, you know, he, he brought a lot of those things over, the, the way you prepare, the way you look after yourself, the way you, that you continue. And, you know, oh, and what a role model, you know, what a role model. I mean, I, I, we didn't, we spoke to Rude Hullet, but he, again, timings didn't work for us. But, he, you know, he said, um, that's the reason he came to Chelsea. You know, that was the, that, those were the posters that were on his wall as a kid with Glenn Hoddle. Uh, that's the reason he came. So, you know, Glenn's role in this, even though it was, you know, in many ways short, um, it, it was a good marker and it was a, a statement of where Chelsea were going. 
And in terms of anybody else that you was looking to interview, was there anybody in particular that you had on your list of people that you'd like to interview, but for whatever, for whatever reason, couldn't, whether it's the timing, schedules, was there anybody of, yeah. up, of other interest? Obviously, you mentioned Bates earlier, as, as well as Rude Hullet. Was there anybody else? Well, sadly, obviously, Viali. Viali was, you know, the person that we really wanted to talk to, and uh, it was just, you know, could be yeah. more, more, more sad than you could imagine, really, because it, it, that was such another pivotal point for Chelsea. Um who else did we we were talking to? Who else were we talking? Eddie Newton. We were talking to a lot actually, but just never because he's out in Turkey. That's he's, right. Um, yes. Yeah. Technical director, or head of football, or something like that. Mm. One of the Turkish Premier League clubs, and 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 we just couldn't get the timing right. And you know, and and Eddie again, a bit like uh, Jubilees in the film, but Eddie spanned those two periods of, if you want to call it the old Chelsea and the new Chelsea. He knew what it was like when Chelsea was, you know, you're wondering whether Chelsea were going to stay up or go down and there weren't that many people watching and he had a terrible reputation with fans and everything else. You know, the film goes into that a little bit as well, into this bright new era, you know, and it fin- the film finishes pretty much on the 97 Cup final. Um, so it sort, sort of bookended, I suppose, from the 71 replay to this, you know, because that's the next bit of a... Uh, bit of uh, silverware that, that you win in terms of FA Cup. Um, and Eddie was, you know, had a foot in that old world, a new world. So, yeah, we would have liked to. If we had more time, we definitely would have had him in there, I think. And, gents, before we wrap this up, I just want to sort of get your views on, you know, when you look at the documentary, and I know, I know a lot of Chelsea fans will be keen to watch this after the game on Tuesday night. Do you think that in... English football especially, will get anything like this again whereby you've got somebody like Ken Bates who, Harry, you've said, although he's a businessman, he's a you know a shrewd businessman, he, he just wants to be loved and adored. And you've got for somebody like Matthew Harding who people would say is the people's owner, whereby people were a huge fan of his and re- respected his... Do you think we'll get anything like that again? Or is it just basically more billionaires and, you know, states owning football clubs? Well, it, it, it's much more expensive, isn't it? That's the first thing. Uh, so even if it's a pound or 300,000 and one pound, you know, it's much more expensive to buy a club. So, you know, how many individuals have billions, which is, you know, the, the price now if you're going to buy a top top level club. So... I find it. I, I could see it happening in the championship. You know, we can still get somebody who might take a punt and buy buy a team and hope it goes up. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, this is just a as we said. You know, you've gone from forty years ago, to whatever it was, nineteen eighty two, from a pound to well, you can tell me how much Chelsea sold. I still don't know how, exactly how many billions it was that Chelsea was sold for, but it's a hell of a lot of money. A hell of a lot of money. Yeah, it was for four and a quarter billion, wasn't it? Well. Um, it's, it's hard to tell, isn't it? Because you've got uh, Ratcliffe, who was uh, a Man United fan, uh bought Chelsea, uh, trying to buy Man United. But, you know, he, he, even someone like that, his, his pockets aren't deep enough. Because he talked about um, state-owned football clubs. And it's quite clear to me that if, um, uh, if the Saudis bid the six billion that the Glazers want, the Saudis would own... Uh, Manchester United, like they in fact do with Newcastle United, but uh, there, there are some 
reasons why, why they haven't made that bid. I, I won't go into them now. It's not relevant to this. But, um, it, 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 you know, is Musk a, a, a Man United fan? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. He seems to seems to be. Could he afford it? Well, he, he could. Um, but I, I think it's not just the purchase of these clubs. You know, it's the investment you need in, in, in the infrastructure for, forever. Uh, stadium, you know, even Old Trafford uh, is, is, is looking a bit sad these days. And there's talk about, you know, nearly two billion to reno- build a new Old Trafford or renovate Old Trafford. Um, you know, we, 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 you know who, who was fooled by uh, Manchester United winning, you know, the, the least important cup in, in, in domestic football in this country and then getting thrashed 7-0 uh, at Anfield, you know, it, it's, you know, even clubs like Man United and Liverpool need phenomenal amount of in- investment in their team. Um, and as Kaj has been talking about, how Chelsea at that particular point um, were, were the front runners are taking advantage of, of the Bosman ruling and free transfers because half of these players we're talking about cost nothing. So, um, no, it, it, it is more phenomenally... Uh, wealthy consortiums, state-owned football clubs. And that's why, you know, it's quite clear that football in this country needs a regulator because no one's going to stop this happening or or control it or monitor it properly. Um, and I'm not even sure that this government have got a clue how to do it. So even if you had a regulator uh, from this particular government, I don't, I don't think you'd be taking it forward. You'd be taking it backwards, in my view. Um, they've got no idea what they're doing. Uh, let's have a regulator. But once one comes in, what are they going to do? I'm sure they don't have much of a clue. Well, final question, gentlemen. And I know, again, with these upcoming documentary and the book, you guys are going to be busy for the next few days. So, again, I appreciate your time on the show. Just, gentlemen, just one final thing. You know, just sort of try and promote the documentary, the book, if you can. You know, why should Chelsea fans look at this documentary, you know, spend time watching it? And Harry, in particular for yourself, you know, why should they go out and buy the book? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll talk about the film and Cash can talk about the book. <laughs> <laughs> I would I'll say, talk about uh, the film then. <laughs> I would say the film is an hour and 15 minutes. And um, knowing Cash uh, from his five live days, uh, I, I would think this is not just a film for Chelsea fans, because I think Cash has explained, and, and, and the book very much mirrors what, what uh, the film's talking about. This is a book for all, all football fans to see how the game really evolved in this country, because everyone's pinpointed the obvious, you know, uh, all seats of stadium, the Premier League, Sky, um, but. Um, you know, uh, uh, as Trevor Burt pointed out to me, you know, the, the Sky money actually dipped for the one and only time just prior to Abramovich buying Chelsea. So I think this is another milestone, another pointer to why the game exploded in, in a financial sense uh, in the entirety of English football. So I think it, it's something for all football fans. Yeah, well, I think the book and the and the film are aligned, so you're going to get you're going to get the same for both. Well, I can tell you, obviously, the film is on BT Sport One on Tuesday night, uh, straight after the Dortmund game. So, if you're feeling elated after the Dortmund game, this will be a fantastic watch as a Chelsea fan to remind you of your your rich history 
if if you're absolutely feeling terrible after the Dortmund game, this will be a reminder of of where it all started and you know got you to the point where you are today. Um, Harry's right, you know you don't have to you don't have to be a Chelsea fan to watch this because it's 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 about how football and culture changed in the nineties and and changed really quickly, told through one football club, through Chelsea, and that's what it's about. So if you were if you were around at that time you'll kind of understand it. If you weren't, it's important that you understand it because without this backstory, you would not have the club that you have now. And this, and also, one final thing, there's some terrific archive in there that we've never seen before. We found some from a Swiss TV channel training with Chelsea in the 70s, and it's just it's just gold dust. So there'll be, hopefully there'll be things even diehard Chelsea fans have never seen before if they watch this film. Can't wait to see the trailer. Is there a trailer, Kev? I believe there's one somewhere. We'll send it to you as soon as it comes out. Probably about two days after the film goes out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, gents, I know for sure that I'll be looking forward to it. I'll be headed back from Stamford Bridge on Tuesday night and I've got it on me Sky Plus box. So I'll make sure to to watch it once I get home. But gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on to the show to... Talk about when are you broadcasting? You when are you when do you when are you broadcasting? So I'll give it a plug on social media. Uh, this will be out on Tuesday. Right. Thanks a lot, Keith. No, that's um, fine, Kaz. I know that you're sorry, a busy I, man. So I yeah, realise I've got again, another thank meeting. Thank you very much for your time. Anyway, thank you. Listen, let, let us know what you think. Be be keen to know what you think. Drop us an email after. I'll drop. Yes, definitely. I'll I'll, I'll probably drop you an email on the Wednesday. Brilliant. Cheers. Brilliant. You take it easy, Kaz. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Podcast Network.